You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming with Pastor Keith Miller. So if you have a Bible, well, we encourage you to turn to Revelation chapter 1. That's where we're going to spend our time together. Uh, if you're joining the live stream and you're not familiar with Meadowbrook Church, but you just heard about the fact that we're going to have an Easter service, a resurrection service, uh, welcome. We're so glad that you're able to join us. My name is Keith Miller. I'm the lead pastor at Meadowbrook, and, uh, and we're just we're thrilled you can join us. For my friends, uh, and many of our friends are on the worship team uh, who are scattered all over the place in the United States, uh, welcome, welcome. We're so glad that you can be here. And in uh, our Meadowbrook family, uh, so glad that you can you can uh, tune in. Yeah, I, I I picked this shirt about a month ago. Uh, the church has left the building. It grabbed my my captured my eye uh, when this whole COVID nineteen thing started to really uh, become became much much more serious than we originally thought. And uh, here we are on. Resurrection Sunday, gathered in, you're gathered in your homes. It's, uh, if you're in Wyoming, it's winter outside right now. It's ice and snow. Uh, if you're someplace else, I don't know what the weather is like, but you're home. And perhaps this is the first time as a follower of Jesus that you are home on Resurrection Sunday and not gathered together with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, I I feel the sense of loss that, that uh, comes with that, but at the same time, the church is not a building. Uh, we are the church. You are the church. And we're gathered in our homes today to celebrate the greatest event in human history. Jesus rose from the grave. I'm going to pray, and uh, then we'll get started as we look into Revelation chapter 1. Father, thank you so much Thank you so much for this day, this day that we have set aside to honor and celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. There are those perhaps that are watching right now who might not know your Son as Savior. Maybe there are some who are watching who are just just desperate for, for good news, desperate for hope. God, I pray that through this time, through our time together, that hearts will be encouraged, that eyes will be either refocused on you or turned towards you as we remember the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. He didn't stay dead. He rose. And so we thank you for that. Thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He is risen, and you could say amongst your family members, your friends that you're gathered with, uh, your roommates, he is risen indeed. So he is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen. Uh, nobody, nobody expected Jesus to rise from the grave. And before I read this passage in Revelation, I just want to set it up for you. Uh, John, the apostle, was on the island of Patmos. He was exiled for his, because of his faith in Jesus. He was alone. He was alone. And uh, many of his friends had been murdered for their faith died horrible deaths. And uh, it was in this loneliness on this island, exiled because of his faith, that the book of Revelation was written. Some think that Revelation was written to tell us how the world is going to end. Really, the book of Revelation is written to encourage 
hearts that are burdened, hearts that are d- discouraged, people who are just, just you know, beat up and used up. That's who the book of Revelation is for. And I just want to focus on a few verses, beginning with verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on earth, to him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him, even so. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Uh, Nobody expected Jesus to rise from the grave. Uh, Nobody. uh, The resurrection caught everybody by surprise. When Jesus hung on that cross, uh, they thought that was it. His disciples thought that was it. His, his, His mother thought that was it. Everyone thought that was it. Their expectation was that Jesus would not suffer death, but that he would uh, rule and reign and liberate the world, not only from the tyranny of Rome, but from the tyranny of sin. They failed to hear every time Jesus mentioned that he would suffer and die and on the third day rise. Jesus warned that he would suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. On the day of Jesus' death, everyone believed he had lost and that evil had won. There was no coming back in the minds of those who watched him die. Maybe there was some hope while he hung on the cross, gasping for air, that, that something would turn around, that he would come down off that cross and he would defeat Rome. Maybe for those who were watching, felt what we felt, or some of you have felt, you know, watching, you know, just all your hope just slip away. Maybe it felt like the ball was on the two-yard line with only five minutes and 32 seconds left on the clock with a seven-point deficit. Maybe, maybe it felt like the bottom of the ninth with a full count, and your only hope is an injured pinch hitter at the plate with, with only one pitch uh, sealing their fate. As Jesus' mother and John watched from the foot of his cross while he was hemorrhaging as they saw his torn body hanging there, I suspect that with each fading breath of Jesus, their hope was swallowed up by despair. Like the last three fading beats of a heart. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then came what sounded like defeat for some. It is finished. And then a final breath. Not necessarily a comment or a word, but a statement nonetheless. And then Jesus died.
His body was taken down and it was uh, reverently prepared for the tomb, for the grave. It was laid in the tomb belonging to Joseph of Arimathea and then the stone was rolled in front of the tomb to seal the grave so that nobody could come in or nobody could come out. And maybe some of you are feeling defeated today. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is discouraging for you. You're in your home and you're not, you're not in a, a, amongst friends gathering together to celebrate the greatest event in history. Maybe it feels like you're in the tomb and, uh, and, and, and you're just feeling like, man, is this ever going to end? Maybe it's not even the COVID-19 virus. Maybe it's something else. Maybe, maybe it's the death of a loved one that you're missing right now. This is the first Easter for you that that, one, that loved one is gone. Or, or maybe it's a, a dissolving marriage. Or maybe it's a debilitating pain or suffering on some level. Maybe you're feeling defeated. What the disciples saw is defeat. The angels were on the edge of their seat. And if Peter and the disciples could hear the, the angels, if, if, they, if they could hear what the angels may have been saying from heaven, in that moment after Jesus breathed his last breath and it seemed like all hope was gone, maybe the angels were just shouting, just shouting to all of creation, oh, you just wait and see what's coming. You wait and see what's coming. You may think that the AFC championship is lost, but there are still five minutes and 32 seconds left on the clock and only 98 yards left to go. You may think that the, the first game in the pennant is over, but there is still a player on second and one more pitch to go over that plate. When Mary and Magdalene got up, uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, uh, got up, these women got up in the morning of, of that Sunday to further anoint the body of Jesus as a way of just honoring him and, and as an expression of their love. They did not come expecting a, a risen Savior. They came expecting a dead carcass where rigor mortis had set in and it was stiff and swollen and all they wanted to do was cover up the stench of death. When they arrived at the tomb and found that the stone was moved, they were alarmed, not because they thought Jesus had risen from the grave. They were alarmed because they thought somebody tampered with the body. This is why the young man who, most, who was an angel told them, who was there, he said, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth. He was crucified. He is risen. He has risen from the grave. He is not here. The, the Bible says that the response of the women was this, that they, uh, were, they fled uh, the tomb. They were trembling and bewildered. The women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And when the women and the disciples learned that Jesus did indeed rise from the grave... We're not told everything about their response and their reaction, but we are told that they were filled with fear and amazement and they worshipped him when they saw him. Some of you remember the drive, the famous drive, uh, when John Elway found he and his team on the, on the uh, second yard line. 
And uh, they only had five minutes and 30 seconds, or 32 seconds left in the game, and it looked like all hope was lost. One of his teammates said to Elway, uh, or said of Elway, that Elway looked at his offensive line, gave a little smile, and said, if you work hard, good things are going to come. We've got a long way to go, so let's get going. Fifteen plays later, they scored a touchdown, and then, a, then a, an extra point, tying the game. And in, over, and, in, and in overtime, they won the game. That drive is considered one of the greatest drives in NFL, NFL history. I'm sure for those of you who maybe saw that, witnessed that, I know some of you still talk about it. When that moment happened, you probably got out of your seat and you started cheering and, and, and hooting and hollering and screaming at the TV, kind of like the way I did when the Eagles faced the Patriots and won uh, that Super Bowl game. I couldn't sit down. Few, uh, maybe some of you remember the first game in the 1988 World Series. Kirk Gibson, who played for the Dodgers at the time, was injured. He was barely able to run. He probably should never even played that in the game, that first game in the World Series. But uh, Tommy Lasorda put him in as a pinch hitter at the bottom of the ninth with two outs. Who in their right mind would do that? So Gibson hobbled to the plate, to everyone's surprise. Mike Davis was on uh, first base. You, you know, their hope was in him, just being able to steal the bases and, and find his way home. That Gibson could maybe hit a base run or, or hit the ball far enough to, to get Davis to home plate so they can at least tie the game because they were at a one-point deficit. Gibson uh, stepped up to the plate and... Uh, found, you know, fouled the pitch, or failed two pitches for two strikes. He swung at another ball that went down the first baseline and, and then eventually ended up with uh, three balls, three out of four balls, giving him a full count. And all hope seemed to be lost. You had this injured player standing at home ready to hit the ball. There was one more pitch. When uh, the pitcher, Dennis Elkorsley, I think I'm pronouncing his name correctly, the closing pitcher for the A's threw a backdoor slider. Gibson swung with just about all of his energy that his upper body could muster up and hit the ball uh, and sent the ball over right, the right field fence for a home run. The Dodgers won the World Series that year. It is the only game that Gibson was able to step up to the plate and, and, and swing, which resulted in a home run, as some consider one of the greatest home runs in baseball history. You know, maybe you're not a sports fan, but think about, think about that sporting event, think about that book, that last chapter of that book, think about that movie that you saw where everything in you just, you, you were reading that book, you were watching that movie, and everything in you just wanted to stand up and, and celebrate and shout and scream. When Jesus walked out of the grave, all of heaven celebrated. The disciples and the women who first witnessed the resurrection of Jesus, yeah, they were filled with fear, but they felt an unimaginable level of joy. That's what Resurrection Sunday is, is about. The, the King, the Savior, the one who died in our place for our sins, who defeated sin, now conquered death when he walked out of that grave.
And, and when John wrote the book of Revelation, when God said, look, or when Jesus said, look, I, I, I'm going to tell you some things, and the reason why I'm going to tell you these things is is so that you can encourage the church. The church needs to be encouraged. And the way the church is going to be encouraged is if the church sees me, Jesus, as who I am. The, you know, in your Bible, it shouldn't be the revelation to John. It should be the revelation of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is the way it should be titled. And there are three things I just want to point your attention to. And I just want your hearts to be encouraged. And the first is that Jesus is victor over death. He conquered death. That's the whole point here. In, in verse 5, uh, John reminds a suffering church, Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of earth. He, meaning he's not in the grave. He, he's, he's not some religious leader that thought up, thought up some... some crazy idea about a, a, a religion. He, he is the religious founder, the founder of this religion, Christianity, who rose from the grave unlike any other religious founder. And he's given three titles. Faithful witness is the first one. He is a faithful witness, meaning he, he identified with us in every way. You know, that's Christmas, right? We, we talk about that in Christmas, that Jesus took on flesh he lived amongst us, lived the life that we could never live. During his time on earth, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of what? Life. The light of life. He's also given the title firstborn from the dead. He is the only one that defeated the grave. He is the only one that conquered death. He rose. Death could not keep him, and the grave could not hold him. Listen, brothers and sisters, Jesus is alive. He is alive. And everything, everything that causes, our, our, uh, causes us to weep has a shelf life. It has a shelf life. Death has a shelf life. COVID-19 has a shelf life. Disease has a shelf life. Everything that, that, that is burdening you right now has a shelf life. The third title that he is given is ruler of the kings on earth. And oh, do I rejoice over that reality. Jesus is ruler of the kings on earth. I am so tired of empty promises, aren't you? There's a king who is faithful and true, and he is the ruler of the kings on earth. The real reason why he is the ruler of the kings on earth is because all things were created by him, the Bible says, and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the church, and he is the beginning. You want to know why uh, governments have not been able to snuff out the church, quiet, squelch the church, silence the church in any nation, on any continent? Is because Jesus is the head of the church. And, and even though you're stuck at home right now, and we're under quarantine, and we can't be together, Jesus is alive. He is alive, and he's coming back one day. He's coming back one day. He is the ruler of the kings on earth. And because he's the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings on earth, all whose faith rests on him 
can sing with the Apostle Paul? Listen, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Read that in your living rooms right now or wherever you're gathered. Just read it out loud and celebrate the truth of these words. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? He is the victor over death. Secondly, he is the liberator from sin. I wasn't sure if there, to, how to word this, the liberator from sin or the liberator of sin. The point, of, the point is that Jesus liberates sinners from the bondage of sin. What is John's response to the Jesus who conquered sin and death? It's a doxology, it's worship. And that's his response. I mean, look at the, the second part of verse 5. He says, uh, uh, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us, he goes on, and has made us to be a kingdom of priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. The only reason why that's true is because Jesus walked out of that tomb on the third day, my friends. There are three verbs that John lists here that describe what Jesus did to, you know, to free us from from our sins, to liberate us from the bondage of sin. The first is this, is that he loved us. He loved us. Jesus loved us, and his love for us was expressed in his dying on, you know, as our sin substitute on that cross. We needed one who was totally perfect, one who was without sin, one who was perfectly righteous, to stand in our place to become sin for us. You know, that was Good Friday's message, right? Uh, if you didn't get an opportunity to watch that, I encourage you to watch that after this. Jesus loved us. The second verb that John uses to describe what Jesus did on our behalf is that he freed us. He freed us from our sins. What keeps people from entering heaven is not God, but our sin. Our sin demands God's holy justice and nothing less. Jesus stood in our place and, and liberated us. He freed us. It was Jesus who died to pay for our sin and to free us from the bondage of, of our sin. There was nothing that we could do to, to, to get God to forgive us of our sins. There's, no, there's not enough good things that we could have done. We're helpless. And Jesus, out of his great love for you and for me, freed us when he went to that cross and walked out of that tomb on that third day. The third verb that John uses here is that Jesus made us a kingdom of priests, that he made us. He made us a kingdom of priests. He, he took us who were slaves to sin, enemies of God, who were running away from God, like I said last, this past Friday, running away from God like a thief runs from a cop, and he, he loved us and sought us out and died for us and validated all that when he rose on the third day and he made us into something. He made us a kingdom of priests. And this is, this is gold. I mean, this is... You need to hear this. When, when John recorded this and he said that Jesus made us a kingdom of priests, when he said, you know, you know, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests, he, he was thinking of Exodus 19. I'm going to read it for you. The words will not be on this screen, 
But listen carefully. It's Exodus 19, if you're taking notes, verses 5 through 6. Now therefore, this is what God said to Israel uh, as they were seeking to follow him and be his people. He said, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Do you know what John is saying here? He's saying because of what Jesus did on the cross, you have become that kingdom of priests. And what that means, friends, what that means is that you are treasured by the God of all creation. You were treasured by the God who spoke the galaxies into existence. You were treasured by the one who loved you so much that he sent his one and only son to die in your place for your sins so that you will not perish but have eternal life. As a kingdom of priests, we are God's treasured possession. One commentator put it this way. In declaring that Jesus made us a kingdom of priests, John reminds his audience that salvation is not just what God saves us from, but what he saves us for, for a destiny as his agents and worshipers. We belong to him. Uh, Peter, the apostle Peter, quoted uh, Exodus 19 and said, you know, this is the church. This is about the church. And he goes on to say this, but you, and the words will be on the screen, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, a treasured possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received the mercy of God. Listen, you know, when I saw this shirt, I just grabbed my attention. And, and that is the church has left the building. I said last Sunday, some of you commented on this, and you said this, it was helpful for you to hear this. I'm going to say it again. The show is over. Like, we were not meant, I mean, like, gathering together is important. Worshiping together is important. We're called to do that. Out of obedience, we should do that. When the quarantine is lifted, we should all come together and have a party here at this property, at Meadowbrook Church, or whatever church you worship at. Go there and have a party. Uh, we should do that. We need each other. But our mission is not about, you know, not about the, the walls and the building. Our mission is about people, some of whom are maybe watching this live stream, who need to not only hear the greatest news in the universe, but they need to receive it. They need to experience what many of us have experienced, the love of, a, of, of God that would trans, transform us and make us children of God. Children that he, the Bible says he treasures and that he loves. Christ has liberated his people from death and sin. But what about the world? I mean, look at verse 7, if you're following along. But he is coming with the clouds. Jesus is coming. You know, he rose from the grave. He appeared to his disciples and a bunch of other people, like hundreds of other people, and then he said, I'm going now. And he, he ascended into heaven. And he said, but the way I'm ascending into heaven, I will come back again. And John says, look, look, you know, uh, right now, Christians, you're suffering. 
You're being put to death. They're throwing you into you know, lion's dens. They're putting you into the Colosseum where you're being lit on fire and some of your children are being clothed with, with lamb's wool so that the wolves will tear them to pieces. You're, you're experiencing that. But Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. And, and he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him and even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will weep. They will wail on account of him. And John says, even so, amen. Amen. Like, uh, I'm reminded of the, of the story of one, one Christian, and I'm not sure if he was a missionary or just a local pastor, but he was arrested for his faith, and he was, he, he was being interrogated, and they beat him. They just beat him, and they wanted him to renounce his relationship with Jesus, renounce his belief that Jesus Christ is Lord. And, and, they, and they asked him, they said, what, what can your God do? What can your God do for you right now? And he looked at them and he said, my God can give me the power and the strength to forgive you for what you're doing to me. That only comes, that power only comes supernaturally. But Jesus is coming one day And the empty tomb promises us that. And then thirdly, Jesus is the guarantee of a better day. I love this. He is the guarantee of a better day. Not only is he coming in verse 7, but he's coming not just to judge the nations, he's coming to make all that is wrong with the world right. He's coming to make all that uh, that that is under the curse of sin, he's going to make it new. The resurrection that he experienced, he promised that one day you and me, for those of us who place our faith and trust in Jesus, one day we'll experience a similar resurrection. And you want to know what? Uh, All of creation will be soon to follow. All of creation will experience the same thing. The earth will experience a resurrection. He's going to make all things new. All of creation is longing for the day when Jesus returns to claim what is his, the Bible says. This is why the Apostle Paul could respond to the sufferings he experienced, and he experienced so much suffering, like so much suffering. I mean, the guy was, he was flogged multiple times with, with, with whips, he was caned, he was, he was stoned, like not, like not Colorado stoned, he was stoned, like with rocks. They beat his head in with rocks. He was thrown in prison, he was shipwrecked, he was bitten by a poisonous snake. The dude suffered a lot. And, and uh, somebody, I read a book one time on his life, and, and they suggested that probably what had to happen just so Paul could get out of bed in the morning is he had to have somebody come alongside him and rub olive oil into the scar tissue of his back and his, and his healing wounds. And he said this, He said, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing, eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. What are they longing for? The resurrection of you and me. You know, that's what Jesus promised us. They were eagerly, creation is eagerly longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
Isn't that awesome? That's what the empty tomb promises us and all of creation. Take heart, my friends. Take heart, my dear brothers and sisters. Like, this is not the end. I mean, this is nothing. So, so we're quarantined. There's a virus that, that is dangerous. But what can COVID-19 really take from you? What can cancer really take from you? What, what can death really take from you? Yeah, I mean, we have a right and we should weep. You know, when we have to say goodbye to loved ones. And, and, and we have a right to be frustrated at death. And, and we, you have every legitimate right to hate, to hate the coronavirus. You, you have every right to hate it. Because death is an enemy of life. But because Jesus rose from the grave, he conquered death. And he promises one day, one day, what is mortal, listen, what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Oh, take heart. You may be weary and your sorrow may feel more tangible right now because this is, like I said, the, probably the first Easter, the first Resurrection Sunday where we can't be with each other, where we can't celebrate together. But I like what Psalm 30, verse 5 says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And it's nighttime right now, but morning is coming morning is coming. It may feel like that you're in the tomb of the circumstances you long to be free from, but take heart. The king is coming. He's coming. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. When that happens, when Jesus comes again, listen to what the prophet Isaiah promises will be your experience and my experience. Those the Lord has rescued, that's us, Isaiah 51, verse 11, those the Lord has rescued will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Listen, everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. Not despair, not sorrow. Gladness and joy will overtake them, and sorrow and sighing will flee away. That's the hope of the empty tomb. That is the promise of the gospel. The resurrection is the guarantee of a better day, that a better day is coming. And when it does, the sorrow and sighing that you experience right now will flee away. There will be no place for it. I can't wait for that day. He is risen. Jesus Christ is risen. The victorious king is coming back. He's coming back, and I can't wait for that day. You know, I, I said at the beginning of this message that, you know, I, I shared some stories. I like sports, but I'm probably a bigger fan of stories. I, I, I like a good movies. I like good books. Um, my favorite uh, genre of film is fantasy and, and superhero films, you know, like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I remember watching the first Iron Man film in the theaters. I remember watching the first Avengers movie that was released when I just, I, 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 I fooled my son, my oldest son, Nathan, <clears throat> said I had a meeting that, uh, that I needed to go to. I needed to meet up with somebody at Caribou Coffee at the Westminster Promenade. I still remember that, and he remembers it too. We speak fondly of that, and I, 
And uh, it was a school day. It was Friday. And uh, I said, ah, they got the, I, when we pulled up the caribou coffee, it was just an excuse to get coffee. Um, he didn't know that I had already purchased tickets for the film. And I said, you know, I think the person that I'm supposed to meet, he's over at the promenade by the theater. Let's go walk over. And as we got closer to the theater, I looked over to Nathan. I said, ah, I was just joking. I'm taking you to see the Avengers movie. And he was elated. And we celebrated. It was such a fun day. But my favorite Avengers film is the two-part Avengers film, Avengers Infinity War and Avengers Endgame. The, the last scene, if you haven't seen it, I'm going to get if you have not seen the film, I'm going to, I'm going to share some spoilers right now. So uh, hopefully you've seen it. I mean, the movie's been out for a year. Um, but the fight between Captain America and Thanos, at the end of the, uh, towards the end of the film, where the big battle, the climactic battle, all the Avengers films, all the Marvel films were leading up to this battle where Thanos would be, would be confronted. And, and uh, if you remember in Infinity War, Avengers Infinity War, the movie ended with a snap. And everybody, like half the, half the universe disappeared into death or whatever you want to call it. And, uh, and I remember, like I read the comic book, so I knew it was coming. I knew there would be a part two. But Nathan and Seth didn't know that. And, and I remember, like, look, I was waiting, looking at them, just waiting. And when, when Thanos snapped his fingers and people started to disappear uh, into nothingness, into a death... Uh, I think it was Nathan, he just threw his hands up in the air. He's like, that can't end that way. And, and Seth, I mean, he almost, it seemed like he had, his eyes were like tearing up. Like, this, this is not supposed, this, stories don't end this way. Good stories anyway. And then there's the second film, Infinity War, or, or Endgame. Endgame, and at the end, at the end, uh, if you remember it, and if you were there at the theaters, you remember the reaction of, of, of those in the theater, especially if it was packed. Uh, Thor, Iron Man, and Captain America were facing Thanos, and they were duking it out, and they were fighting each other. Thanos was kicking their butts, like kicking their butts. And there's this one scene where Thanos um, grabs uh, Thor's, or catches Thor's battle axe, and he starts to press it into Thor's chest, and then the camera pans back, and, and it switches over to Thor's hammer. And if you know anything about Thor's hammer, only those who are worthy are able to wield his hammer. Nobody else can wield his hammer. And so you start to see the hammer start to you know, uh, uh, shake a little bit, and then it floats. And everybody's like, what? What's going on? And then uh, all of a sudden, you see the hammer... Um, hit Thanos off of Thor, come circling around, and you want to know who catches it? You already know this if you saw the film. Captain America. And the theater went nuts. They're like, I mean, I was going nuts. I, I mean, I, I could barely breathe. And, and so I was excited and, and elated that, that Captain America, and, and then the battle scene between Captain America and, and Thanos, you remember that, he started kicking Thanos' butt, and everybody was like, yeah, go get him, and screaming, and, and hollering. And, and I just I wanted to stand up in my seat and, and just scream. And then he gets, you know, Thanos gets the better of him, and, and then Captain America is just beat up and on the ground, and he looks like he's about to be killed. And he slowly gets up, and he stands up, and he collects himself, he... He's, you know, fixes his shield that's 
broken. And Thanos and all of his armies, thousands of them were just waiting to take over Earth. And then there was this, this little this noise. You can't quite make it out in the film at first, but then you realize it's the other heroes who previously died are now alive. And I couldn't help but think of the empty tomb as these different portals opened up and all these heroes started coming through, like Spider-Man, Doctor Strange, all these guys. And I know I'm exposing my nerdiness here, but I almost cried. Like I was fighting back tears over a movie, over a story. And then when Captain America had his hammer and his broken shield and all the heroes behind him ready to face Thor, or Thanos and all of his armies, he said something that just I wanted to stand up and shout again. And he said, Avengers, assemble. And they won. They beat Thanos. Oh, I wanted to do that over a film, over a story. And so did you, if you saw the film. All great stories point to a greater story. And the greatest story of all is the gospel. And the gospel is that not only did Jesus die and was buried, but on the third day he rose from the grave. He rose from the grave. I mean, do you, do you realize what that means? We're going to sing a song in a minute uh, about that. But do you realize what that means? Think about it. Jesus is alive, and if he's alive, that changes everything. It changes everything. And the disciples knew it, and they felt it. And, and all of them were willing to die for it. And generations after them who received the good news of Jesus were willing to die for it. Why? Because he is alive, and he's coming back to judge the living and the dead. Amen? Like, he's coming back. He's coming back. And that's, that's what makes this day so special when we celebrate it and we think about it, is that Jesus is alive. And one day, he's coming back and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Amen? Father, thank you so much for this day. For those who are watching who do have not yet received this news, who have not yet believed this, maybe they're, they want to now, maybe, maybe for the first time this is making sense to them. God, I pray that they will hear these words from your word. It says, all who confess with their mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead will be saved. They will know you as Father, not as Judge. They will know Jesus as Savior. And uh, God, I, I pray for those who are watching now who have not yet placed their faith and trust in Jesus, that they will, that they will before the day is over. Maybe during this song, they will. And uh, for those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus, those of us who are followers of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Encourage our hearts with this news, God. Encourage our hearts. Remind us that weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning, and you promise us that joy is coming because the morning is coming, and you will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more night and you will remove the curse of sin. And this earth will experience a resurrection like the one that you are promising us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've prayed or if you're going to pray, if you want to believe in Jesus or give your life to Jesus, 
comment in the comment uh, section or message Meadowbrook Church. We want to make sure you have a Bible. We want to make sure you have resources to help you to grow in your new faith. Uh, so good to, to celebrate with you. Let's sing this song together. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.